while I put this back here. Not anything you need. I just put that up there and left it. So, um, yeah. So tonight, we get to use my personal favorite toy ever. I love that. This is mine. This is not the church's. So if you guys ever fire me, this goes with me. What is it? It is called an elbow. That's not elbow. It's it's an overhead projector, yes. But this is actually, and this is, is it a real elbow? Where would it be? No, I think it's a real elbow. It is an elbow. Would you like to know how much this was on eBay? Forty dollars. I know. I know. And that means that um, it, in a second I get to draw. And to be honest, every now and then there are illustrations that I just go, oh, I'm going to use that, and I save it. Uh, and a couple of you have asked me about that every now and then. I don't typically shape a message just off one story. I have done it before, just not here. <laughs> because that's, that's difficult to do when, you know, the Scripture's there. Uh, but I will tell you this. Tonight I was just like, I just want to use my Elmo. <laughs> So it's not really needed. But we're going to do it. And um, we're starting a, a new series that is on the book of Judges. Which means tonight is the intro night. Uh, that does not mean it's a wasted sermon. It just means it's the intro night. It also means I left my coffee back here. So I'm going to grab that before somebody decides to journal and eats my Or not eats, but drinks my coffee. It's the Elmo night. Um, as the intro night... This is really just kind of talking about, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. But we're going to do it a little differently because of the fact that, that we're taking 21 chapters and we're doing that in 8, 9, 11 weeks. And I promise it won't go longer than 11 weeks. Um, what I want to encourage you to do instead is I'm going to be sending out scripture each week on, hey, please read this. Please read this for this Sunday. Uh, quite often what happens is a lot of times we get real tempted to think, that, that what I'm saying is your scripture for the, the night. And that's awful. That's terrible. If you are just depending on what I speak on Sunday night to be your, your uh, interaction with scripture during the week, that's not a good thing. Okay? I want to encourage you to spend more time and, and uh, more time reading. Uh, I mention you version every now and then. I personally use that. Uh, my son uses that. Uh, I, uh, who, who said I? There we go. Elliot uses it. There are wonderful reading plans there. But if you're not reading Scripture, and I had mentioned, you know, one of the ways to prepare for Lent is to hear from God by reading from Scripture, I would encourage you to do it. And not to give in to the temptation of, oh, I have to be reading lots of it. Five minutes. Five minutes is better than no minutes. To be completely honest, one minute is better than no minutes. So to kind of encourage you and encourage me on this also, I'm going to be sending out scripture via Facebook, via my blog, via, uh, I send out messages every now and then through a list we have through MailChimp because of, of Mr. Holty in the back. Um, so if you, if you would like that, check the Facebook page every now and then, check uh, the church website, and uh, also I'll put up a link to where you can get these emails. Because the goal is, is over these 11 weeks, all of us together will have read through the entire book of Judges. And I got news for you. We, we so often treat Scripture as though it's holy in a sense that we mean. It is holy. But what I mean is, when we say holy, we mean church-wise. We treat Scripture as 
though it's this nice little Jesus image, and Jesus has a perfect nose, and Jesus' hair is nice and parted perfectly, and has been, been using conditioner, and it's glowing appropriately, rather than the fact that Jesus was probably extraordinarily boring looking. And the reason I say that is this. For those of, and probably dirty, yes. For those of you who've read the entire New Testament, what does the New Testament say about how Jesus looked? Yeah, and that's actually from the Old Testament. That's a quote from the Old Testament. It says The New Testament says basically nothing about the way he looked. I.e., he was probably just common and ordinary looking. We, we take Scripture and we turn it into holy, use air quotes here, meaning it's churchified, when the reality is it's holy because it takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. What we're going to read uh, over the next 11 weeks at most is going to be a PG-13 Bible at best and sometimes an R Bible. We are going to read some of the most violent scenes in Scripture. And violence really disturbs me. I wish God didn't have any of this there. It would be so much easier if it was just nice and cut and dry and perfect and, and no rough edges. But the reality is, is that violence is a part of our world. The heroes that we're going to read about are just as messed up as you and I are. So let's talk about it. Will is going to show the scripture behind me. And then we're going to swap to the Elmo. Uh, through a little button. Uh, but I'm going to start off on uh, the very first chapter of the book of Judges. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And we're going to go to actually a couple of different passages. Uh, if you look in your bulletin, there are some references there. I need a few people who would uh, re- look up scripture and read it uh, for us tonight. So, on your bulletin, there's Joshua. It's the 24th chapter, if I remember right. Is that correct? Okay. And it's verses 14 through 28, if I remember right. Okay, I need somebody just to, to look at that. You're not going to read the whole passage, but get that ready. So do I have a volunteer who will read that? Okay, Devin's got it. Then the next one is actually two passages, and I separated them. Uh, it, uh, the passage that I'm reading right now, and then in chapter 2, it's chapter 2, and I do not remember the verses. I think it's 5 to 7, and then verse 10 also. Is that correct? 6 to 7? And then 10. Do I have somebody who would read chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, and verse 10? Oh, 10 through 13. Okay. Do I have a volunteer? Oh, Drew, I'm sorry, bud. (laughs) Over there. Okay. And then I need somebody to read the very last verse of the book of Judges, which is chapter 21, verse 25. So somebody want to read just one verse of Scripture? There we go. Thank you very much, Mr. Young. Okay, so here's what verses 1 through 3 say. Please keep this in mind because we're going to come back to this. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first group, excuse me, first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I've given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Semanites, their brothers, Come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go, uh, go with you into yours. So the Semites went with them. So, should turn blue, then you should see this. 
There we go. Okay. Now, here's basically what's happening. If you read the Old Testament at all, there's one overriding story that is the meta-narrative of the Old Testament. Everything comes back to it over and over again, so much so that this past Monday, the Jews did a meal where they celebrated it. And it is the Exodus, which means exit. Yeah, leaving. Exodus literally is, uh, you know, exit. So on the signs where it's like, hey, in case of a fire, which there's not a fire, uh, in case of a fire, go through this door, it would be Exodus. You are leaving. Okay, so the Exodus happens. And it is the big, big event within Judaism. And you have lots of little people right here. And you have the Red Sea and it forms waves right there. That's what it looked like according to the Prince of Egypt, which I watched watch this week. And they go through right there. And then there's a cloud right here. And Pharaoh is in a chariot. I don't know how to draw a chariot. So that's a chariot with a weird looking horse. Okay. <laughs> oh. There. Is that better? I need to draw bigger. <laughs> okay. So the Exodus is the overriding event. And people come back to it to remember always. Think again. Uh, last week for Easter, it was remember, remember, remember. And now all I can think of is, is the, the, what is it? The 5th of November. <laughs> but, okay. It's always remembering. And for us, we hit guilt and we hit grace and we hit gratitude. And we focused on that during Easter. For, for Judaism, though, it is always remembering the Exodus. We have to remember this. It's very, very important that we not forget that we were once slaves and God set us free. Through these miraculous signs, he set us free. Well, after he, is, uh, he sets them free, he brings them to the promised land. They send spies in. I can't draw spy versus spy. It's not making sense to me. Spy versus spy, they have a hat like this. And then I think there's a nose like that. That looks a lot like an elephant. So there's that. And then here's the, the black spy. That is, there's a reason I'm not an artist. Okay, so spy versus spy. They send in spies. They send in 12 spies, one from each tribe. And they go to the land and they see this land and they say it is overflowing with milk and honey. That is my beehive right there. Looks more like a rutabaga. Um, <laughs> they say this land, though, is overflowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. It's an amazing land, but the, the people are huge, and there's no way we can survive it, except for two people. One is a guy named Joshua. The other is a guy named Caleb. And God says, oh, that's it. I just brought you out of Egypt. I just brought you out of this place where you were slaves and I set you free in, in a way that could only be accomplished through me. None of it was done on your own effort. You didn't just leave and escape. You left with the Egyptians' gold. They literally gave you gold to leave their land. And then they changed their mind and came after you and I protected you. And now you're forgetting me. That's it. You're wandering in the desert. If you read the whole story, the Egyptians, or excuse me, the Hebrews then go, oh, no, 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 we'll go in the land. And God's like, no, not now, not now. And they go in the land and they, they lose the first battle to a city that they should have been able to beat on their own power. So 
They do that, and then they wander around in a desert. Now, this is not a big desert. I mean, it is a big desert, but it's not a desert that you can really get lost in for 40 years. Okay? Uh, anybody here, you know, directionally challenged? Where you could get lost in, in plover? Or, you know, even Stephen, Stephen's point's pretty easy here. This is not about the Hebrews being directionally challenged. God literally says, you are not making it into the land until everyone's passed away except for your children and Joshua and Caleb. So they wander around for 40 years. They go this way, they go that way, they go this way, they go that way. There are lots of people standing around just with big question marks over their head because they're wondering what is going on. They've seen the promised land, they want to get there, but God has said you're not entering. And we have just reached the point where everyone except for Joshua and Caleb has died. And they are about to enter the promised land. God has said, I have given you this land. You're going to have to chase the people out that are in there. Which sounds barbaric to me, at least. I, I, don't, I don't like it. But at the same time, I understand that God was taking a weak people. And he was going to use them as a light for the rest of the world. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to make you the chosen one and everyone else can just go to hell. What he said was, you will be like gods to them. You will be my chosen people. Apparently that made, made Joe's night. <laughs> Guys, the whole point was for Israel to become a people that others would look at and go, the Lord, he is God. And they would turn. You want an interesting thing? Read the Exodus and you'll find that some of the Egyptians actually went with the Hebrews. See, God was never like, I love the Jews and I hate everyone else. He was, I'll take them and I'll show the world who I am. And there's some things that happen that, that I find disturbing. There's genocide that takes place. I, I find that disturbing. For some of you, it may not be a big issue. You may just be like, oh, God said it, it's fine. For me, it's disturbing. We're going to talk about that. What happens here, though, is that God says it's time to go in. And that's where we are. We are at this point where they are now ready to go into the land and to take over the land that God has said, this is going to belong to you. So, let's hit on a couple of different things here. Because this is what I want you to think about when we read through uh, Judges. And I'm going to send you scripture to read each week. You're going to find a couple of things. One is going to be this. That, that our God is not meant to be put into a box. Okay, We so often do that. We say God is like this. That, that God is only like this. And, and we are confused when we find something in scripture that is the opposite of that. I put a quote on the, the front of your bulletin. It's from Albert Schweitzer. Three times in, in uh, modern history, there's been what's known as the search for the historical Jesus. Now, it's, theologians like to give phrases to themselves that make them sound important. And, and this has happened. What happened here was we, we know two Jesuses. We know the Jesus of faith and the Jesus of history. That doesn't mean they're separate. But right now, when we're singing songs to Jesus, we're not singing songs to this Jesus of history just as a historical figure. We're singing songs to him, for some of us in the room, as his, he is our Savior and our Messiah. We believe, some of us know, that he is here with us. 
He was a historical figure, but he is also the Jesus of faith. And three times in modern history, theologians have said, we just want to go back to the historical Jesus and just find out exactly what he was like historically. Now, there's a problem with that. Some of you are history majors. When you study something historically, what do you try to do? You try to get as many primary documents as you can. And the more documents you have that point back to this figure, the better. Because if somebody tries to describe Jacob in this room, well, Pete might say, Jacob always says something that offends females and gets him in trouble almost every Sunday night. And, and then, then Aaron might say, Jacob's the guy who sits in front of me that I want to punch when he's sitting. I'm just picking on you. <laughs> no, you haven't said anything tonight. It's awesome. No, if <laughs> that was not what I meant to say. <laughs> I would like it when he offends you ladies. It's kind of fun. Um, so, guys, we want lots of different sources. Jesus didn't have lots of different sources, and it would have been weird if he did, because he was a peasant. Nobody paid attention to him until after the resurrection. Think of the people, those of you who help feed at Place of Peace. Think of the people that are there at Place of Peace. How weird would it be if there was some guy there taking notes about everything that happened there? He would think, what's going on here? Why, are, why is this situation so important? Well, okay, some of them are a little socially awkward. Maybe there is somebody there taking notes. But we, we tend to think it's the important people that have notes taken about them. If there was a reporter in the room every Sunday night at Tapestry, you guys would be like, well, we're kind of special, aren't we? <laughs> we, are kind of special. we are kind of special, but we're kind of like short bus special. Uh, <laughs> see, we don't have a lot of primary documents on Jesus. We have some. The Gospels are primary documents, and they're very reliable. Josephus, who was a, a, uh, a Jewish historian, who, truthfully, you probably wouldn't want to know personally because he, he tended to kind of agree with whoever was in power. Josephus was a, a, a Jewish general who fought against the Romans until the Romans won, and then he swapped sides. It, it, just kind of an interesting person. But Josephus makes some references. There are a few references, but they're not a lot. And to be completely honest, it would be more unusual if there were lots of references. So this search for the historical Jesus came back to, uh, to basically groups saying, is this an actual statement of Jesus or not? Some of us who are a little older, you might remember a thing called the Jesus Seminar, where these, these Greek scholars, actually I'm doing air quotes, they are Greek scholars. They would literally take every word that Jesus said and they would say, uh, this statement is supposed to be made from Jesus. Vote on whether or not you actually think he said it via a box that had white, uh, white marbles and black marbles. And they would vote on it. And this happens every now and then where people go, oh, we can figure out exactly who Jesus was like just historically. And Albert Schweitzer's came back and said, it's funny the way every time somebody comes back and says, we'll figure out exactly who Jesus was like. It's almost like they look into a well and they see their reflection in the bottom of it. And they go, oh, look, that's Jesus. Here's why that's important. So often, we take Jesus and we make him look exactly like us. That's sacrilege. That is idolatry. That is evil. My God is not exactly like me. I'm trying to be like him. 
but he challenges me in ways that I don't always like. Jesus does not always agree with what I say. My goal is for me to agree with him. One of my favorite quotes from Abraham Lincoln was he was asked, do you think God is on our side? And he said, the question is not whether or not God is on our side. The question is whether or not we are on his. See, so often we take our God and we put him into a box. You know, Jesus is just like the people in tapestry. Well, I I think we, we tend to be quite like him, but... I also think if Jesus came here on a Sunday night, every now and then he'd be like, why are you doing that? I would hate for Jesus to see my mortgage. And I'm, I'm pretty picky on trying to live a lifestyle that reflects his glory. But I think if he saw my mortgage every now and then, I think he might be like, why are you doing that? I have friends of mine who are really conservative and they are just convinced that Jesus looks exactly like them. And I have friends of mine who are very liberal and they are convinced Jesus looks exactly like them. And the reality is is that our God is far too great to be put into a box. When you read through the book of Judges, you're going to find out two things. That, That God is holy. And that means two things. That means He hates sin. He does. He hates sin. He hates rebellion. Not just because he's like, oh, this is a sin and therefore I hate that. Because our sins are destructive to us and they are destructive to our relationships with him. He hates them. And I think sometimes we reach a point where we just think, oh, he's okay with that. Maybe you don't. I know I do. See, if, and I think the two biggest images in Scripture are, are the image of God as the parent and the image of, of uh, God as the spouse. And I know there are things that my kids or, or my wife could do that I would hate. And I don't hate them because I'm some selfish little prig. I hate them because they're destructive to my kids or they're destructive to my relationship with my wife. God hates sin, but he loves his people. And it's shown again and again in the book of Judges. I have mentioned this before, but in the book of Judges, there's what's known as the judging cycle. And just think of a circle. And it's basically this. Everything is good, and the people forget God. They actually don't completely forget God. They do what's called, actually, Joe, I mentioned this word, syncratic. To be syncratic, think sync. If, I were to, if we were to sync our watches together, what are we doing? We're taking multiple things and making them say. Syncratic is, is to take multiple philosophies, multiple worldviews, to take multiple religions and piece them together in such a way that they don't offend each other. And there's a problem with that. And that is these religions, all these different religions, most of them say we are right. Some people are like, oh, there's, no, you know, there's, there's many, many, many ways to God. The problem is, is that Islam says there's one way to God. Judaism says there's one way to God. Buddhism, depending on which Buddhism you do, red hat or white hat, says there's one, way, there's, you know, one way to God or there's no God at all. Hinduism says there's lots of ways to God as long as you do it through this. Christianity says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If all of these religions are saying there's, you know, my way is correct, Well, you can't combine them in such a way that it's like, oh, all these ways are correct. 
See, syncretic thought tries to synchronize things that are actually opposing one another. And what happens, you're going to see, is the, the Jews go, oh, we'll take this from Baal and this from Asherah, and we'll just kind of combine this with Yahweh, and we'll worship them all the same. And they all three are like, no, you can't do that. So everything's good, and they forget. And when they forget, God sends judgment. That's supposed to be a J. He sends judgment. The way he sends judgment is he allows somebody to come in and to oppress his people. Somebody new, and this is not the people who uh, the Jews kicked out. This region is constantly having people enter and flow. The Philistines, who many of you know, uh, if you remember the story of David, they don't even exist at this time. Okay, They're going to come up. This is a region that is just flowing back and forth with people. And, and God allows judgment to come. And when God allows judgment to come... The people call out. They call out for help and they say, God, please save us. And God loves his people. While he hates their sin, and he does hate their sin, he loves his people. And when they call out, please save us, he sends a judge. Now, the word judge is a little confusing because we think of, well, how do you think of a judge? Courts, what would you say, Pete? A gavel? Giving punishment. It, these are not... There are a couple of times where they actually do make some decisions. Deborah uh, is a female judge and she makes some decisions. But think of it more like Savior. Not Savior in the sense of Jesus Christ, in the sense of, of um, sacrificing himself, but somebody who's coming and going to deliver them from this evil. So everything's good. The people forget. God sends judgment by allowing somebody to come in and, and persecute them. I mean, they come in and they're awful. Uh, they call out for help. He sends a judge, and then it goes back. Everything's good, and the people forget. Happened seven times that it's recorded in this. And we know it happened more than that because there are 13, well, depending on who you talk to, between 12 and 16 judges that are listed in the book of Judges. It happens over and over again. And you're going to see this one phrase that's said over and over again. And again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of God. See, we have this tendency to forget. God is holy, and that means he hates sin, but he loves us. And when we forget, well, everything else seems to get okay. So the first thing I want you to remember is that God cannot be boxed. And we're going to see that over and over. God is not going to be boxed by your concept of, oh, this is what a loving God will be like. He is going to be in your face. There's going to be violence that happens. And in the book of Judges, it's not necessarily violence that God says you need to do this. But some of the people on God's side do some terrible things. And I would love for God to be like, nope. But he doesn't say anything. I think there's going to be some questions that pop up. There are for me. Here's the other thing I think you will see. And that is, in the book of Judges, the heroes are not... Heroes, E-S or O, just O-S? E-S, there we go. The heroes are not cut and dry. Say, I want my heroes to be like Superman and have capes. Looks like a plane. <laughs> you say it was a ladybug or oh, a lady hero no this would be a lady hero there here's a dress and a dress i don't know how to draw i'm sorry i don't know how else to draw a female stick figure okay that's appropriate 
It's a Christmas tree. Now, here's the... Okay, yeah, not very healthy. Here's the thing. We like our heroes to be kind of like Superman, but the reality is most of them are more like Batman. If you know anything about comics at all, Superman's all swell until they kind of start messing around with them a little bit. But let's face it, Superman has one weakness, and that's a, a part of another planet that got destroyed. That for some reason, all the pieces fell on Earth. But still, we all know if the only thing that can defeat you is a little stone, there's nothing that can defeat you. It's Superman is like, everything's great. Batman is dark and confused and good and not good at the exact same time. The heroes that are going to be described here, they're not cut and dry perfect. It's one of the things I love about scriptures. We so often treat scriptures as though it's plastic, but the reality is it reflects everyday life. The one judge that most of us in the room know the story of is going to be the story of Samson, which we tell as, as like a nursery rhyme. There's nothing nursery about it if you really think about the story. He's not cut and dry. And the thing I love the most is, in the book of Judges, God uses the unlikely again and again and again. He doesn't use the person that you expect Him to use. He doesn't use the strong. He doesn't use the tall. He doesn't use the smart. Well, I mean, He does. But, but so often, instead, He uses the left-handed. I know that sounds weird now. <laughs> But my favorite story in the book of Judges is about a left-handed guy. Everybody who's ever been a middle school boy in the room is just going to love this story. No. Because the, the literary term for it is scatological humor, which basically just means it is poop stories, okay? That's what it is. And I love it. It's all about a left-handed man. He uses women. Ladies, I hope you know by now... I know, that's... This is what I hope you know by now, is that when you see women mentioned in Scripture, that you go back and you go, wait, wait, this was a 2,000-year-old document. A 2,000-year, and women are being spoken of, and not just women, but non-powerful women are being spoken of in highly positive terms. That's amazing. You start reading other ancient Near Eastern, Eastern texts, and what you're going to find is the, the wives of incredibly powerful men are mentioned positively. But never the wife of just some nobody. Never a single woman. No. See, it's, it's this. People that others would have con considered weak, God uses them again and again. And they don't get it perfect. I think one of the problems that happens with our Christian heroes is sometimes we use them as an excuse not to do God's work because we go, oh, you know, Mother Teresa, she did everything so perfect, so therefore I don't have to. But the reality is the only difference between Mother Teresa, the only difference between Billy Graham, the only difference between St. Francis, the only difference between, between all these heroes of the Christian faith and you and me is that they say yes. It'd be nice to be able to go, oh, oh, you know, Billy Graham is this amazing preacher and he has an ability that I could never have. But the reality is, is that the story of Moses is God uses a person who probably stuttered. 
to be, if not the best teacher of the Old Testament, in the top three. A man who doubted his ability to speak and God takes him and makes him the teacher for an entire nation. Teacher for us. God loves to choose the weak. I don't know about you, but I feel weak pretty often. Here's the last thing. I need my scripture readers. So, uh, you had Joshua 24, correct? Would you read that? I know it's 14 verses, but go ahead and read it, please. And I may stop you. So, just go ahead. I may stop you.